You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. And then uh, jump right into our time in the scriptures today. Um, I am your TMT speaker, so <laughs> introduce myself here. Uh, I, we wanted to do a little bit of a discipleship refresher this week, and so um, just kind of giving you the state of affairs when it comes to discipleship in Life Church. And if you've been around Life Church for any length of time, you know that we talk about disciple making, discipleship a lot. And the reason for that is it's the thing that Jesus told us to do, right? It, it is the purpose for the church. It's why we exist is to fulfill the Great Commission, to make disciples, um, to go into every nation and do this work. And so that's what we're all about doing. And you might have asked at some point, hey, when you're talking about making a disciple, what are you shooting for? What's your goal in making a disciple? And unfortunately, um, in the church in, in the last, well, I don't know how many years, um, the metric for a disciple has been skewed. It's kind of been off. I think the, the typical metric that's used in churches for are you a, a faithful disciple of Jesus is do you show up on Sunday morning and do you give in the offering? right? Those are the two things that churches typically use to measure if somebody's really uh, walking with the Lord. And we just think those are things that disciples often do. That's part of it. But the Bible lays out so much more of a full picture of what a disciple is, and we're going after that. So in Life Church, we talk about a disciple as someone that the, like the, the Nicene Creed would call holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And you might say, wow, that's even more confusing. Uh, but let me just explain. Holy just means simply you're set apart in your lifestyle. Your lifestyle is set apart and geared towards obedience to Jesus, right? You want to follow Jesus. Catholic just means it's universal, so you're connected to the church, um, connected to the community of God. So a disciple is someone holy in lifestyle, set apart in lifestyle, and set apart in community. You're not saying, I'm just going to do this thing on my own. You're, you're connected to other believers in community. And then apostolic, you're set apart in mission. An apostle is just a sent one. So every Christian is sent onto the mission that God has for us, the mission that God himself is on in the world, which is to reconcile all people to himself. So we join God in his mission. So we believe disciples are to be holy, Catholic, and apostolic here in Life Church. And we're constantly working on new ways to measure that and track that in your life. And some of you may think, we're sick of that, Pastor Dave. Why are you constantly asking us questions about this and constantly trying to figure out ways to figure out if that's happening? Well, the short answer is we care a ton about each and every one of you. If you're a member here at Life Church, we take that extremely seriously that God has entrusted you to us to disciple. And we take very seriously... Um, our, our responsibility before God to do this well. So we know we'll have to stand before Jesus someday and answer. And he's not going to ask how many dollars were in the, the offering plates. He's not going to ask about that. He's not going to ask, what was your attendance like? He's going to say, did you focus on these things? Were you really making disciples? Okay. And so um, we're, we're focused on that. We're coming up with new things. You're going to see some things down the road here in the future that are even more geared to us helping to track your discipleship and really care authentically about you. Now, how are we using our gatherings throughout the week to really build disciples? Well, I'm going to talk about our three basic gatherings here. First of all, we have Sunday morning, and this is more, mostly the vertical component, right? You don't get a lot of time to connect with one another and build relationship, uh, which is definitely a part of being a disciple, but you're connecting with God, hopefully being refreshed in his mission and in his love for you each Sunday morning. Then we have Wednesday evenings every other week. 
the table, uh, we call it. And that's sort of a blend of the horizontal connecting with other believers and the vertical connecting with God, right? We're building those relationships that can hold us accountable and be in our lives, and we're deepening that relationship with God. And then finally, we have D groups. And D groups meet at various times and places throughout the week. And we really encourage you to get into a D group. Now, here's the deal. We've kind of pitched that D groups would be two, three, four people. Our hope is that they would meet weekly. But we have D groups that are various sizes, some of them six, seven, eight people. Um, We have D groups that are uh, various times and various frequencies. We have some D groups that meet once a month. And we would just say the posture of our heart here at Life Church is like anything is better than nothing. Right? If you can meet once a month and that's all you've got right now, great, do it. Any accountability is better than nothing. These groups meet to really study the scriptures together, hold each other accountable to growing in Christ and to fulfilling the things that Jesus gave us to do. And so we're doing that on as regular of a basis as we possibly can. If you're saying, hey, I'd like to know more about a D group or I'd like to be in one, uh, just go to our website, lifechurchsuefalls.com. Go to the Connections tab. Underneath the Connections tab, you'll find a word, Discipleship. And then there's a link that you can click on if you want to be in a D group or see some D groups that are going on that aren't full yet. And those D groups are meeting at all different places, some at restaurants, coffee shops, people's houses, the church here. And you can get in one of those. If none of those work for you, I would just say, hey, host your own. Just say, I'm starting a D group. Put it up on the website. And you can get two or three other people to start with you growing in God. And, and we give you a simple, basic platform to do that. All right? So that's Discipleship in Life Church. Uh, want everybody to be on board with that. Want everybody to be growing and to becoming an authentic, true disciple as, as Jesus has laid out in the Word. Uh, so let's dive into the text here today. Um, Pastor Bill is going to come and preach to us. Uh, from Hebrews 4, 16, and 1 John 3, verse 21. And we'll have it up on the screen. Okay, Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then 1 John chapter 3, verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This is God's word. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Today's message, of course, we're continuing in the the prayer series, but today's message is uh, actually the end of last week's message. I broke it up into two segments, um, and I talked to you last week about uh, a couple of things that you could do that are very practical things uh, that will help you uh, to be more effective in your prayer life, all right? And the two things that I gave you last week was, number one, that you would actually schedule a prayer time, and number two, that you would make prayer list. So you would have list uh, that you would pray out of. Uh, and the whole idea of a scheduled prayer time was that this is a time that you decide and designate as a sacred meeting time, all right? So this is a time that you're saying, this is God's time. It now belongs to Him. I take this block or this chunk of my time, and I actually give it to God, and I don't take it back. So it is His, all right? So if you do something else, you're, you're choosing to miss your appointment with God, all right? Uh, and if you don't connect with God during that time, Um, then you are basically cultivating like an empty time. Nap time is great, but call it nap time, all right? Don't call it prayer time, (laughs) all right? So set this time aside, uh, give it some sense of sacredness, 
call it what it really is and be, be truthful to that, that call, okay? Um, and that second piece, the prayer list, the whole idea there was that you have something to focus on. A lot of times we start to pray or we sit down and, and we, we want to pray and we're kind of really random or we're not really getting anywhere and oftentimes a list will help us to focus. Um, now, today I want to talk about the third component of what I think really helps us to have a very effective prayer life. But just before I do that, let me say this to you. Uh, I don't think, I'm, I'm actually confident of saying this, we have not ever had as much feedback from a sermon series as we have on this series on prayer. Just the number of you people who are coming to us with uh, how it has affected you personally, uh, some of the things that already you've implemented and you're already seeing fruit from it, uh, some of the things that have really like challenged you and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm totally convicted here and uh, uh, this is good for me though and I, I need to be in this place right now, uh, things like that. Some of you are giving us tools to help pray uh, more effectively, more efficiently, uh, all of it so good, such good, good stuff and keep it up. And if there's some of you that you have a, a really dynamic testimony out of this series and you want to share it, that's what the TMTs are for. Uh, and uh, you can certainly have a time to share. Just talk to Pastor Dave. Uh, let him know what's going on and kind of rehearse it to him. Um, and then we'll, we'll set it up for you to have a time to share with the whole congregation. We want to encourage each other. So that gets us to today. And today's... Uh, part or this third piece is a little bit different than the first two. The first two are just sort of like very practical, tangible things that you can do uh, that will help you to pray more effectively and more efficiently. This is a little bit different today, but it's a, a big, powerful piece of how you pray right and how you pray effective to God. And so the third part of, of having a really effective prayer life, I think, is that you can cultivate a right view of God. Right? You need to understand God's view of you. All right? And that is absolutely essential. A.W. Tozer says it this way. He says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I can tell you from personal experience that there have been many times when I have battled and struggled in prayer and when I really like got honest with God and honest with myself about that struggle, oftentimes I was battling perceptions about God that were not right. By that I mean they were inaccurate perceptions or they were unbiblical perceptions that I had about God. And those perceptions came out of life and experience and history. And so a lot of times we relate to God out of our own experiences. And when we do that, we skew the real view of God and who God really is. All right? And the enemy would love for you to do that. The enemy would love for you to see God the way you see maybe an abusive authority figure or an absent father or uh, a difficult child or any other number of situations or circumstances in life. And to be able to pray effectively and to pray the way that God wants us to pray out of our heart we need to see God in the most accurate way possible, all right? 
There are a lot of times that believers will be praying and they will say things like, well, I just don't feel like my prayers are getting anywhere or I don't feel like God is near to me or I just feel like God is so distant. A big one for a lot of us is, well, I just don't feel like that my little needs are that important to God. And God's really big, and God's big over everything. And so I'm just really small in, in the whole scheme of things. And so I, we see ourselves quite little, all right? Um, sometimes we think of God as being like really this angry sort of taskmaster, like he's this guy who just has a list of things that we need to do, and he's not going to be happy until we get them done. And so we keep doing them. But the problem with that is even though we can check a few things off our list, we add more things. So the list continues to grow. It never gets any shorter. Or even though we tick something off, we come back and we retick it uh, because we don't feel like that we are pleasing to God. And so we need to do that more or we need to do that again. And so there's this repetitive sort of performance thing that is going on all the time in our head and in our heart saying, okay, I just got to get better so God will like me. And then when God likes me, then I can go to him. And so because of that, then we, we actually step back. We actually withdraw from God. And the word of God tells us that when we draw near to God, God draws near to us. Can you understand then why the enemy would want you to think of yourself as little and too little to approach God? And so because of your guilt or your shame or God's anger or God's frustration with you, you shrink back. You move back away from God. And so you and God don't connect better or stronger or more intimately. And that's what prayer is about. Prayer is about connecting with God in a stronger way, a more intimate way, a more loving way. All right? And that's what God wants from us. And so we want to kind of parse that out just a little bit this morning as we go along here. All right, uh, A lot of us will say sometimes things in our mind like, okay, God just wants to, to uh, see us, but he really doesn't want to hear us. Well, I can tell you where that comes from. A daddy or a grandpa who says children should be, what? Seen and not heard. See how, and, and, and the enemy will take something like that, something that simple, but because it's been spoken out, it sets in the heart in some capacity, and it begins to be a part of our false belief system. And so it begins to affect how we see God, how we see God affects how we approach God, and how we approach God determines whether or not we are effective in prayer. And so you and I, it's essential that we rethink our view of God. We, in, in all honesty, for a lot of us, it'd be good to just wipe it all off and just start all over. Just get in the scriptures and rebuild our view of God. Now, oh, there's one more. A lot of you from the Midwest, you just see God as this stoic entity that's just out there. And he's just doing what he's doing and he just doesn't have time for you, and he's just not interested in you, and his ear really isn't open to you. He's just moving along in what he does, because he's God. And I'm telling you today that I want you to see God differently. I want you to see two things today. These are not my great ideas. There are many who have proposed this and preached this and taught this long before me, so I'm not giving you anything new 
uh, today. I'm giving you the, this, the, the age-old truth about God here, okay? And that is this. Number one, we need to see God the Father as simply that, a tender father. He's a good father who loves us and who wants very much to show you how deeply he loves you and he wants to have that kind of depth of relationship with you. And then we need to see Jesus differently than maybe we've seen Jesus in the past. And we need to see Jesus as the bridegroom and the king. A bridegroom loves his bride. A bridegroom does all that he is doing for the benefit and the time when he will receive his bride. Think about it. When you as a man or you as a woman, when you became engaged to, to your, your spouse, what happened? It's like a whole new world just sort of like came and evolved there. And now all of your decisions are being informed by the fact that you are now engaged to one another. You're now betrothed to each other. So all that you're doing and all of your decisions are marked around that reality, all right? So you start making your decisions and you start interacting more with one another based on that reality that we are going to become one together. And the Bible makes this beautiful analogy of Jesus as the bridegroom and his church as the bride. And so once you become a part of the church, you become a part of the bride there is this new and dynamic relationship that you should be having. You and Jesus should be engaging with one another for the rest of your life, for the plan for that day when you will sit together at the banquet table of the believers. And so you live out of that kind of relationship, which is a relationship that is built on impending passion and consummation. You're going to be one with Jesus. You're going to be so connected to Jesus when he returns that you will see him and you will actually be like him. And so everything you're doing now needs to be informed by that reality that there is a new heaven and a new earth that is coming. It is coming when Jesus comes again. He is the one who will establish it. And when he establishes it, he brings you into it in absolute fullness and completion. And you and him are one together in that kingdom for eternity. And that needs to be the impetus for your prayer life. That should cause you and I to begin to pray like no other because we now begin to understand that this God loves us, all right? And this is what we bring out in Hebrews here. It says, the, the writer says, with confidence, not, not in a skeptical way, not in a timid way, not in a fearful or frightful way, not with any kind of hesitation, with confidence we draw near to the throne of grace. In other words, we draw near to that place of holy, sacred intercession. What's going on right now at the throne? All right, answer me, okay? God is on the throne. Who is beside God? Jesus. What is Jesus doing? Interceding or praying, all right? The dynamic of the throne room between the Father and the Son 
is that Jesus is continually looking at every one of us, and he is continually, in some capacity, I can't explain it to you, but he is capable because he is also God, all right? He is the second part of the Trinity, and he and the Father, together with the Holy Spirit, are there around the throne, and he is interceding for every single believer who is a part of his bride. That's why we can approach with confidence. We approach the throne room, the throne of grace. We approach the point of prayer and intercession. That we can do what? Receive. All right? So we come in prayer expecting that we're going to get something. And what we receive is mercy and grace to help in our times of need. We get to come because we are needy. We get to come because we are lacking. We get to come because we are broken. We get to come because we have sin to overcome. We get to come because we have been chosen by God and redeemed by the Son and empowered by the Spirit. And so we come boldly into this throne room and we get to bring this need, this brokenness, this mess that we are constantly finding ourselves waiting in right into the throne room of God, lay it before His feet and expect that mercy and grace will be given to us. And most of us are living a life seeing ourselves as not worthy are seeing God as not really wanting to give us that grace, are seeing ourselves as not lovable or not touchable, are seeing God as too far away or too distant. And because of all of that wrong view and those bad filters and the slick work of the enemy, our prayers are going down the tube and we are ineffective. And because we're ineffective, we give up, and we quit, and we stop praying. This is why we have to then go to 1 John and look at 1 John and say, okay, beloved, <laughs> beloved, if your heart does not condemn you, you will have confidence before God. See, prayer is a heart issue. It's not just a function. It's not a piece of performance. Prayer is a heart issue. And if the enemy can condemn you about you in your own heart, you won't have the confidence to go before the throne of God. And so to get that confidence is going to require you and I to understand that we are so loved by the Father and that is what his whole heart's capacity is about, is love. And he loves us so much that he not only paid the ultimate price, but he continues to seek us. He continues to pursue us. He continues to go after us, all right? Not only that, he's baptized us in his spirit so that we can do certain things. And one of the things that we can do is we can cry, Abba, Father. You see, you've been adopted. You all love that when, when the Dehans talk about adoption or the bishops talk about adoption or the Sinkgravens talk about adoption. And there are others of you who have adopted too, all right? 
But, but when these types of families, I'm just using these three as examples here, but when these types of families talk about adopting children, and especially children from different countries, international and all of that, and we have these children in our church, and we are all about adoption, as Pastor Dave said. And, and here's the thing, though. Think about this. How often do you think about adoption, and you think of it in some romantic kind of sense, and you think that's really cool that these particular families have adopted someone. But you are still... You're still the orphan over here on the side looking in. Wishing you could be adopted. Wishing you could feel that sort of romantic feeling. And see, here's the truth. You're already adopted. It's a done deal. It's the work of Jesus on the cross. And because of the work of Jesus on the cross, and now Him resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father, sitting there to intercede and to pray for all of us, now the Spirit has been able to be released into the earth, and God has sent the Holy Spirit forth on the day of Pentecost so that you and I can receive the Spirit. Therefore, by the Spirit, we are strengthened to cry, Abba, Father. The adoption is sealed in the Spirit. And so you have it. And now you can pray as a son. You can pray as a daughter. You belong. You are now a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You have all of the benefit of the kingdom of God for you. You are heirs of God's kingdom. And so we approach him much like Papa in our culture. And I know some people even use that terminology sometimes when they, they pray to, to, to the Lord. That's okay. I guess people can do that. I don't do that. Um, I'm not really fond of that name for the Lord. It seems almost a bit too familiar for me, but maybe that's because my grandson calls me Papa. You know, so it, but, but here's the thing. When my grandson doesn't get what he wants or doesn't get what he thinks he should have, because he's a kid all about justice, you know? He, he is the eight-year-old, you know, vibrant, passionate heralder of all justice for all people at all times, and especially for himself. <laughs> and so when he's asking for something, whether the petition is to his mother or to his Grammy uh, or, or to, to someone else, if he doesn't get what he wants, he literally does kind of a turn and he goes, where's Papa? Why? Because I give him what he wants. <laughs> That's why. I give him what he wants unless I know it's not for his good. And when it's not for his good, I sit down with him and we have a little talk so that he understands. But I never just leave him hanging. I never let him go. And sometimes he has to wait to get what he wants. But eventually it comes through because I'm Papa. And he knows that. Folks, some of us in our spiritual world, we need Papa. I'm not advocating that you pray Papa, but you need to understand that you have been given this spirit of adoption. You belong to him. Therefore, you can say Abba. 
You can say this term of endurement, this thing called Papa. You can get that close to him, and you can ask him and not be afraid to ask him. You can ask him with confidence that you won't be rejected. You can ask him with confidence that no matter what you ask, he is not going to get frustrated with you. He is not going to make fun of you. He is not going to ridicule you. He is going to hear you, and out of his heart, he is going to desire to bless you. And blessing you may be giving you exactly what you ask for. Or it may be giving you exactly what you need instead of what you ask for. Or it may be causing you to have to wait a while until some other things get taken care of. Or you grow up a little bit more so you can have what you want. Landon's not going to get an Xbox from me. Because he spends way too much time on games now. But it doesn't stop him from asking. And he's not going to get a motorcycle from me <laughs> until he's a lot older, proves he can drive, and I die and leave an inheritance. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to take it any further. You get the idea. You get the picture here. There's a lot of us that we just, we still act as though we're the orphan when we've been adopted. And it affects your prayer life. It, it will actually keep you from praying. All right? In, in the Old Testament, there's a passage in Isaiah chapter 62. And the prophet says, the people of Israel will be called by this name. They will be called Hebsabah. It's a Hebrew name, all right? Hebsabah, all right? It means this, the delight of the Lord. You've got to live in this place of confidence, all right? And that confidence is that. God loves you. God delights in you. God rejoices over you. The Bible even says God sings over you. My goodness, I love my wife, but I don't sing over her. Talk to my wife. She would tell you I should not sing over her. <laughs> she would tell you I should not sing over anybody. Okay? But, but God has this, this piece of him that is very real and very connected and very even emotional. And all of it's good. And you and I cannot afford to look at God based on the brokenness of humanity. And, and personal wounds and, and, and historical things that are problematic in our families or whatever, and, and, and base how we approach God off of that. you got to have a good understanding of who God is because how we view God, and this is the takeaway that I want you to have for this piece, how we view God determines how we approach Him in prayer. And you can't, you can't afford to see him as aloof and angry and unapproachable or impatient or frustrated or any of those kinds of things, all right? Because if you do, you will not pray. You will not come to him. I guarantee you, if I was in the office and I presented myself pretty unapproachable, in other words, if I was upset or frustrated or angry or just having a bad day or just choosing to be grumpy and nasty and all of that, I guarantee you that this man who sits only 10 feet away, from, less than that, probably 8 feet away from me, I guarantee you he wouldn't stay in that office very long. 
And, and here's the thing. If we don't see God right, we don't go in. We just don't go in. All right? I, gotta, I want to talk to you about one more thing real quick here, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of be, be done this morning, okay? I want to talk to you about God's love for you just a second here. But more than that, I want to talk to you about your love for yourself and loving yourself and how to do that right and how to do that well, all right? The Holy Spirit's number one agenda is to work at establishing the first commandment that God gave us. And that first commandment is out of Matthew 22, and that is that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, body, strength, so on, okay? That's absolutely essential. He wants us to put our all into the relationship with him. And so that is the work of the Holy Spirit, constantly revealing the love of the Father towards us, constantly uh, working in us and empowering us to move towards the Father. All right? And that's because of that one commandment. All right? So, so the Spirit imparts God's love to you and I, to God's people. All right? And, and, and we will not love God more by trying to love harder. You can say, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to hunker down. I'm just going to choose to love God. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to purpose in my heart to love God. You can do that all day long and never feel that love manifest. It'll never spring up out of you, all right? The way we love God more is by seeing more of God's love for us. That's what changes us. Ladies and gentlemen who are in this room and you are struggling with habitual sins that have been cycling in your life over and over and over and you have not been able to overcome them even though you have tried in your own strength time and time and time again to do that, you are never going to get free of those sins. You're never going to overcome them by your own strength. You cannot do that, especially if they have become addictions or, or they are heavy cyclers in, in your life, all right? It won't happen. The only way you're going to change is if you start to understand how much God loves you. That will be the impetus. And that's why continually the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal how much God loves you. And the intent here is that as we see that kind of love for us, the value that we have in God continually rises. It's like the water level from a flood. It just keeps rising and rising and rising. So the more you're flooded with the love of God and the understanding of how much God loves you, the more you want to receive that love, the more you want to benefit from that love, the more you want to do what is necessary for that love to continue to grow in your life. And that's why Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep obeying me. Keep doing what, what I tell you. Because as you obey me, my love grows. As my love grows, your revelation of my love continues to grow. And as that grows, it changes the way you see yourself. All right? That, that is hugely important. All right? So let me talk for just a minute here about loving yourself. I'm convinced from God's Word that you and I are to love ourselves. The Bible says the second commandment, the second most important commandment, 
is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't love yourself, all right, let me, let me rephrase that. You will never love others more than you love yourself in the grace of God. It's absolutely essential that you start to enjoy yourself, you start to see yourself well, you, you, you start to see yourself as God sees you. Let me ask you this. Who's the person that is most critical of you? Yeah, you. <laughs> Absolutely. We tend to be so hard on ourselves because we see ourselves as wrong as we see God wrong. And so sometimes we see ourselves as we feel in our broken relationships that we have in the earth. We get frustrated with our children, so we believe that God gets frustrated with us. We don't want to hang around with our children because they're frustrating. So we just say, okay, well, God doesn't want to hang around with me. He's just frustrated with me. Or we see ourselves in some way defective. Here's what I want you to do as we close today, is I want you to make a commitment to yourself and to the Lord that you will do a personal word study in all the things that God says about his relationship to you. And I'm talking about from his perspective, all right? So you're going to look at, at verses like Psalm 18, verse 19. He delivered me because he delighted in me. You see what I'm saying? So you go through the scriptures and you find all of these verses. And when you find them, write a few of them down on posty notes and stick them in, in, on the mirror in your bathroom. And when you get up in the morning and you're brushing your teeth or whatever you're doing, just read through these notes, all right? Don't watch anybody else doing it. Just do it yourself, all right? And close the door when you do it, all right? Because some of you will start to get routines. I am blessed of the Lord. And you're in there doing this crazy stuff, you know? And your spouse is in bed looking out of the corner of their eye going, why doesn't he shut up, you know? Find whatever it takes. But begin to put these things into your mind, and give yourself understanding, all right? You, you need to know that you are precious. You need to know that you, you have a place here. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And that's where we want to get to is, you know what? I don't matter so much. What matters is God and what God thinks. And what God thinks of me is really good. Therefore, I can live out of what God thinks about me. And you'll live that much better than you will some kind of self-hatred or deep sense of rejection or inability to feel loved and accepted. And if you don't feel loved, you're not going to love others. If you don't feel loved, you're not going to approach God. And so that's the place where we start. What is in our own heart? So the key here is that you get those scriptures and you get them in your heart so that they begin to bring transformation to you. Amen? Amen. So you're going to schedule a time of prayer. You're going to make some lists. We're going to put some lists on the, the e-blast for you too, okay? How to pray for your pastors, how to pray for Life Church, things like that, right? Uh, we're going to help you to pray more. But then you're going to work hard, 
hard at having and developing or developing and having a right view of God and a right view of yourself. Amen. All right. Oh, do we have a praise team to sing? Yeah. Do you want to sing? Come on up here and, and, and join me. Let's, let's, let's sing something a little bit joyful. Yeah? Oh, praise the Lord. Stand. Everybody just stand. As they're getting ready, say something to yourself right now about who you are in Christ, about how God sees you. Just say it to yourself. Just talk to yourself for just a moment. Just affirm yourself for just a moment. We'll sing one little chorus, and then you can go get your kids. All right? Are we ready? Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. Think good of yourself right now. All right? Enjoy this moment. You're the beloved. God's delighting in you right now. Enjoy this.